This is the second of Dr. Hunter's series that deals with temptation. Why to fight appetite was his first subject, and today's message is entitled, Why to Annul Rebellion. From the New American Standard, Dr. Hunter has chosen Ezekiel chapter 2, verses 1 through 6. Then he said to me, Son of man, stand on your feet, that I may speak with you. And as he spoke to me, the Spirit entered me and set me on my feet, and I heard him speaking to me. Then he said to me, Son of man, I am sending you to the sons of Israel, to a rebellious people who have rebelled against me. They and their fathers have transgressed against me to this very day. And I am sending you to them who are stubborn and obstinate children. And you shall say to them, Thus says the Lord God. As for them, whether they listen or not, for they are a rebellious house, they will know that a prophet has been among them. And you, son of man, neither fear them nor fear their words. Though thistles and thorns are with you, and you sit on scorpions, neither fear their words nor be dismayed at their presence, for they are a rebellious house. And now let's join Dr. Hunter for his message, Why to Annul Re- and The longer it's a mess, the more complicated it gets. We come to you today not expecting you to immediately fix all of our circumstances. But we do want you to fix your people. Because that's what you still do. And you can do it immediately. Help us to so hear your word today that we can see our name written on the page. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If you have your scriptures with you and you would turn to Ezekiel, I will pretty much stick to the text today. I won't do a lot of flipping around because it says it all here. And it is such a familiar theme that uh, you don't need a lot of cross-references. You just need with me to concentrate on what this text says. I know that this seems like a funny uh, Mother's Day sermon, but that's what it was in schedule, and count yourself lucky because two years ago I preached on hell on Mother's Day, so. (laughs) Starting with the first verse in chapter 2, the Word of God reads, Then he said to me, this is God talking, Son of man, Stand on your feet that I may speak with you. Now, Ezekiel receives a title here that is only used in this way a couple of other places in Scripture. Ezekiel was a prophet sent to a chosen people who had been in captivity for a long time. They had been in captivity for so long that they were starting to take on the characteristics of their captors. He was a prophet who lived with those people every day. He wasn't a John the Baptist type who lived in the wilderness and when he got mad enough he came tearing out at you to speak the truth. No, Ezekiel was one who lived in captivity with these people. This title is also given to Daniel a prophet who lived with a people in captivity. It is no accident then that when Jesus came, this is the title he took to himself, Son of Man. A prophet sent to a people in captivity. 
who had been in captivity so long that they were taking on the characteristics of their captors. He says, Son of man, stand on your feet that I may speak with you. And as he spoke to me, the Spirit entered me and set me on my feet, and I heard him speaking to me. Now this is a great theological truth. Anyone who listens to God, who can hear God, can hear him because God got there first. Because the Spirit had already entered in to make God understandable to you. I watched a great-grandmother this week give her life to Jesus Christ. Seventy years old, praying the prayer of salvation. It was so neat. And I'm sure as a new person to the faith, she may think, you know, I just decided that it was time that I get my life in order. Those of us who have been around the faith a little longer know better than that. Now, God had her on a path. God prepared her heart. He started, started with letting her ask the questions that would only be answered in Jesus Christ. And he led her to where she could hear him. It's a great theological truth. The Spirit entered me and set me on my feet and I heard him speaking to me. When you hear, it's because God is speaking to you. When you feel like listening, it's because God has gone before you and he's drawing you in. And then he said to me, Son of man, I'm sending you to the sons of Israel. This is a great gift of grace. Even though a prophet never feels like a gift, it is a wonderful gift. You know in scripture where it says, And sin abounds, but grace abounds more still. Grace, even the unmerited favor that grace is, doesn't always feel good before you understand what it is. Grace tends to interrupt your routine. It has been said that mercy is not getting what you deserve. And grace is getting what you don't deserve. And so God sends us prophets to bring us back because he loves us. It's a great Wonderful interruption, even though it doesn't feel like that right away. He says, I'm sending you to the sons of Israel, to a rebellious people. The, the literal Hebrew here is nations, to a rebellious nations. Now, elsewhere in the Bible, when it refers to the heathen, it always refers to them in the plural, the heathen nations. Usually in Scripture, it refers to Israel as a nation. But by this time, they have become so broken down in the circumstance and the culture in which they live that they have become like the heathen. I'm sending you to a nations. They have reversed the process of e pluribus unum from many, one, and they have gone from one to many now. And it's tough to tell them from the rest of the world. You know what? Church could very much fit into this category today. I'm sending you to the sons of Israel, to a rebellious nations, who have rebelled against me. They and their fathers have transgressed against me to this very day. Could I, could I just remind you of something? Your sin is not original with you. 
You have been trained to sin by looking at your parents, by looking at the people that you respected. All of us have been trained to sin. Sin is passed down from generation to generation. If there was ever a reason for repentance, it is that we are teaching our children how to ruin their lives. Most people don't care enough about themselves to repent. But they ought to care enough about their kids and their grandkids and their great-grandkids. It says, And they and their fathers have transgressed me to this very day. And I am sending you to them who are a stubborn and obstinate children. Now, let me translate this in English terms. Stubborn and obstinate really is a is a, is a rough translation. The Hebrew is to a children who, who are stiff of face. Now, you're going to love this. Stiff of face. Now, let me tell you one of the great things that our mothers did for us. Our mothers taught us when it was appropriate to be ashamed. Because we didn't know it as children, and we lived in the middle of a culture who didn't know it, and it was our mothers who said to us, shame on you, wasn't it? Remember that? Did your mother ever say that to you? Did your mother ever say this to you? You ought to be ashamed of yourself. Did she ever say that? Why did she say it? Because you didn't know. You didn't know. Because you live in a world of rebellious people, and you came down a line, and you have rebellion inside of you. That's how we were all born. We were all born rebellious. Getting in people's face. Oh, no, I don't. No, I don't have to either. Every kid's like that. So your mother said, did you a great favor. Said, shame on you. Aren't you ashamed of yourself? You ought to be ashamed. Now, I hear a lot of people these days trying to take away that term. Don't you dare take away that term. It's a perfectly good term. It's been abused. It's been misused. There have been people who have heaped shame on people in order to have power over them. That's not what our mothers did. Our mothers said, that's wrong. It's a wonderful thing today to be able to spot something and say, it's wrong. There are very few people who, who, who are saying that anymore. But it's a wonderful freedom to say, that's wrong. And stiff-faced people are people who no longer look down. Remember when you were called in by the principal? You probably weren't. I was. You don't look at a principal when he's getting, you, when he, when he's getting on your case. You look down. And then he says, look at me, and then you look up. But you don't walk in there and just face him like this. That's being stiff of face. People who don't have enough sense to be ashamed. What do you think you're doing calling me to account? See, stiff face. Just right up there. People who haven't got that kind of sense. I watched something on TV this, this week. I was walking through and, and uh, one of the guys had a talk show on. Those things are horrible. The, this was a talk show about people who were facing people who had bullied them when they were kids. I don't know how many people saw this. I just saw the last couple. It was incredible. Here are these people, after 20, 30 years, having to face the people who had bullied them, absolutely retelling these stories, stories of intimidation and horror, and they're, they're still frightened and so on and so forth. And two out of the three of these bullies come on and just say, big deal. I mean, here are these people standing right, the victims are sitting right beside, crying, shaking, and they're going, 
What's the deal? Get over it. Go on with your life. This one girl told of being so frightened by this other friend of hers repeatedly, again and again, and when the other friend got on stage, she was still laughing about it. She could see the pain in this other person's face, but she was stiff-faced. Big deal. Ha ha! I still think it's funny. People who don't have enough sense to be ashamed. Watched 2020 the other night about the about kids getting drunk every night. Yeah. Two, three times a week. Just go out and get blasted. <laughs> National television. Don't have enough sense to be ashamed. Stiff-faced. Now, how does that happen? Well, it happens because... We begin to take little areas, God, and say, okay, now these are my areas. See, we're taught correctly, usually as we're growing up, that all of life is God's. But along the line, we begin to take little areas and say, okay, now this is mine, it's nobody else's business. That's a favorite phrase. This is nobody else's business, including God's. And so we begin to be justified in our own area of thievery. I know very few people who are stupid enough to go to God and say, God, I don't believe in you, and even if I did believe in you, you can't do anything about it. Nah, 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 nah. Just see what you can do. Not very many people stupid enough to do that. There's a few, and you know who they are. You may even be one. Not a good idea. Most people, though, just do this little by little. Until they think, not only is that area all their own, and nobody has a right to approach them about it, but they actually get mad at God because He's not blessing their life with all the assurance and blessings that they need in spite of the fact they're still doing what they know to be sin. Can you imagine? That's rebellion. I heard a story read a story not too long ago about this uh, this hotel in Copenhagen. One of its uh, guests came out of the women's uh, washroom on the ground floor, had a fancy restaurant and so on and so forth, came out of the women's washroom and just stormed up to the manager and said, your restroom attendant just treated me shabbily because I didn't leave her a big enough tip. Well, the manager looked at her and said, we don't have a restroom attendant. <laughs> On further investigation, what had happened is that a year ago, this lady came in to use the restroom facilities, was a little tired, so she sat down and was going to do some knitting, and she noticed that as the ladies came in, they started leaving her tips. So every day she came in to do her knitting and every day people were giving her tips. And she gradually began to have the attitude that people weren't giving her big enough tips. Could I say to you, that's exactly where we are. We got these little areas of rebellion in our life and we go ahead and get mad. See? Because God's not doing us good enough. When we, st we stole the area in the first place. That's how it progresses. Now, read a little bit more with me. It says, it says they're stubborn and odd. They're stiff-faced. You shall say to them, thus says the Lord God. As for them, whether they listen or not, 
See, God knows that some of you aren't going to listen. You can, but you're not. You're not going to listen. Whether they listen or not. Look, it says, For they are a rebellious house, says it again. They will know that a prophet has been among them. That is a sentence of judgment right there. It doesn't feel like one. But the verb tense in Hebrew is um, um, perfect instead of present, as it were. In other words, it means that the ones who don't realize it right now will eventually because of the consequences. And they'll look back and they'll say, "Uh uh-oh, I should have listened. They were right. And so it is a realization that comes from pain and not one that comes from prudence. They will know that there was a prophet among them. He says, he's saying to Ezekiel, don't get discouraged no matter what reaction there is. That's not your business. Look at what it says in the next sentence. And you, son of man, neither fear them nor fear their words, though thistles and thorns are with you and you sit on scorpions. This is a very uh, real illustration for Palestine at the time. It was full of scorpions. And it was very often that people got stung and they didn't realize they were going to get stung. It was part of the hostility of the environment. And he is saying there is a hostility of an environment. Scorpions are not just thorns with attitudes. Scorpions are that which inject into you the poison. This is a great symbol here. Such a great symbol that he later on he says, don't you be rebellious like them. In other words, don't you get stung so many times that you turn around and you're... you're Attitude is rebellious. How many of us go into life and we swear we're going to be nice to people, but the first person we meet who reams us out, first reaction is to ream them out back. You know? Oh, yeah? Let me just tell you something. See? Well, that's taking the poison of the scorpion into ourselves and becoming rebellious like them. So he's saying, Ezekiel, no matter what reaction you get, you've got to realize you're working in an environment full of thorns and thistles. Do you remember the curse on Adam after he got out of the garden? This was the curse. Adam, you're going to work the land. And the more you work, the more sweat you get, the more is going to grow what? Thorns and thistles. In other words, the effort that you put into it, part of the character of the curse, the effort that you put into it, won't seem like it's fruitful. The earth will seem to be resistant. And he says the same thing to the prophet. Look, you're going to put your whole heart into this, Ezekiel. And it's going to feel like all you're getting back is thorns. That's what happens to God, by the way, when we don't listen. Thorns. That was the crown of our Lord, thorns. That's what continued to pierce him on the cross, thorns. All of those who had not listened. It says, thorns and thistles and scorpions. For they are a rebellious house. But you shall speak my words to them, whether they listen or not, for they are rebellious. Again, in Hebrew, that's a noun. It means they are rebellion incarnate. It has gone clear down to their bones. 
Now you, O son of man, listen to what I'm speaking to you. Do not become rebellious like that, like that rebellious house. Open your mouth and eat what I'm giving to you. He gives him the word of God. It says in the third chapter, let it go clear down into your, into your bones and speak it to them. Because he loves us enough to come after us anyhow. No matter what we've done, his love's greater. No matter what areas there are, he still comes to us and says, let's talk. No matter what our reaction is, God loves us enough, like a good mother, not to relent. We've got some prayer time we'd like to do this morning. Before we do that, I'd like to tell you a story, a little illustration. Uh, But we want to spend most of our time just giving God an opportunity to let you repent this morning, either of an entire life that's without Jesus Christ or an area in your life. All of us have those delirious we've taken over that we won't let anybody in. And God this morning is knocking on the door says, Oh yeah, I want in. Let me tell you about um, when I was a kid and wanted to uh, see what it was like to smoke. Now, many of you have been, by, been through this, so I think you'll all be able to identify with this story. When I grew up, it was before the Surgeon General's report had come out, and everybody smoked. You know, it was a thing to do. Clark Gable smoked, for crying out loud. I mean, everybody in the movies smoked. So it was a, it was a big deal. Well, um, both my mom and my dad smoked, and, and I wanted to feel what it was like. And so I had this buddy, Danny, who, who, who was kind of a, you know, he, I mean, this wasn't his first rodeo. I mean, he had done several things that I hadn't done. And, and I kind of was hanging around Danny and... And Danny said, well, why don't we just go smoke? He said, you take some of your mom's cigarettes. My mother smoked Kent, and they were kind of a, considered a girl's cigarette. Uh, I mean, a boy's cigarette didn't have any filter, except if they were Marlboro's. And, and, and Danny knew where to get some Marlboro's, you know. So I said, I'll get some, and we'll just go over to West End Boulevard basketball court at night, and we'll just smoke. I said, okay, that's a good deal. I want to do this deal. So, <laughs> so here we go. I meet him over at West End Boulevard, you know. And we're all, we're, here's two little boys huddled in the corner of a basketball court in the dark in these embers. And he said, Hunter, you don't know how to smoke. Let me teach you how to smoke. He says, you take it in your mouth like this and you inhale it. I said, what's that? He says, you breathe it in like that. I said, okay. So I sucked on that old thing. And man, it was like a sledgehammer hit me. And I thought, why would anybody do this to themselves? But I kept doing it to myself. I want to learn how to smoke. Well, things weren't looking too good. <laughs> I mean, I mean uh, things weren't going well at all. And, but I didn't want to tell Danny that because that I, I want to look like a veteran of this thing. You don't want to look like a weenie. And so he said, how you doing? I, oh, great, man. This is great. Smoking's great. Oh, I love this smoking stuff. He says, well, I'll tell you what. We're just about out of cigarettes here. Let's go over to my house and watch some TV. So we went over. <laughs> I followed him over, trying as good as I could not to fall off the sidewalk. Followed him over. There we are watching TV in his living room. And Danny, Danny's mom comes through. Now, you got to know Danny's mom. Sweet little old Italian lady. About as broad as she was tall. Had a little bun on her head. Those, those uh, kind of German shoes on. You know, that lace up. You know, thick, thick uh, heels, only about that tall. But... Kind of German boots, even. 
always smelled like salad dressing. This woman always smelled like salad dressing. I just like being around her, you know? Kindly, kindly woman. She goes through and just goes behind Danny and she goes like this. Man, I knew we were cooked. I knew we were cooked. She turned around and she said, Danny, have you been smoking? Now, what followed was one of the finest dramatic scenes I've ever seen in my life. I mean, this guy had this down to an art. He stood up and he swiveled around. And he looked at her and he said, My own mother would accuse me of smoking? I'm sitting there thinking, well, this is a different approach right here. I've never done this one. And he started onto what was one of the finest speeches I'd ever heard in my life. I mean to tell you, I wish I could remember it word for word. I wish I'd had a tape recorder. He started onto this, I'll tell you what's happening out in the world, Mom. I'll tell you what's happening. There's gangs out in the world. There's gangs that beat up people. But do I belong to those gangs? No. No. Danny Brown's mom doesn't have to worry about that. No. There's devil weed in Shelby, Ohio, mom. You know what devil weed is? Mary Jane, marijuana. You know what it is? You know. But do I smoke marijuana? No. No. Danny's mom doesn't have to worry about that. No. Because I'm a good boy, mom. I'm a good, I try hard every day. I would never do any of those things because it would make my mother ashamed. I would never embarrass you as long as I live. Man, my heart's getting stirred up. I'm thinking, this is a great kid. I want to hang around this kid more often. Boy, he's a good citizen. I want to be around him. And then he whips it just a notch higher on the emotional scale. Oh, I try so hard. There are temptations out there every day. But I resist them. I resist them. And now my own mother turns on me and accuses me of smoking cigarettes. I can tell that he's starting to buy his own argument here. (laughs) He's starting to think he hasn't smoked at all. I was standing right there. But his, his eyes are welling up with tears. I'm thinking, well, this is something to behold. He goes on. Oh, I've tried so hard. I've done so good. My life compared with everybody else's is so great. And my own mother would turn on me and scar me like this. I can't believe you accuse me. He goes on long enough. I'm starting to think, maybe I was the only one that was smoking out there. (laughs) Maybe he wasn't smoking. Maybe it was just me. I'm a little dizzy. I don't know. Maybe I didn't see it right. I'm starting to get convinced. And then... The pièce de résistance. He turns stiff. This is the definition of stiff face. Turns stiff face. Well, if that's what you think of me, then I don't even want to be in the same room with you. And he spins in his self-righteous turn. And he walks out of the room. Oh, it was glorious. You could almost hear the battle hymn of the Republic. (laughs) Playing in the background. Glory! You know, this felt like a revival meeting. He didn't get three feet out of the room. My eyes have tears in them. Didn't get three feet out of the room before this woman who is totally expressionless turns to me and said, So where were you guys smoking? (laughs) 
ask you a question. Do you think for a minute our Father in Heaven is dissuaded by a great speech of what good people we are when we've sinned? Do you think that he's persuaded he may be wrong in this thing? Do you think that even if we convince ourselves that we're good people, that that makes the area go away or any less ruinous of our lives? Do you think that even if we can convince other people we're good, that it makes it all right? Because if you do, you're in trouble. Sin doesn't get you in trouble. Not repenting gets you in trouble. Falling in the water doesn't get you drowned. Staying in the water gets you drowned. The end of that story was that Danny was so good at that that he was addicted as he got out of high school to a couple of kinds of drugs that I know about. Because he was a bad kid? No, because he justified his sin. And when his mother called him because she loved him, he talked his way out of it. In here and with anybody who would listen. He just wouldn't listen. Now, let me ask you to listen to a song. And then just let's have some prayer time. Because, again, there is an area in every believer's life, one or two or maybe three areas, that they know and the Holy Spirit, even as I've been talking has been telling you exactly what God wants you to confess and repent of. Whether you listen or not, it's up to you. Pray with me. God, this isn't really about us. It's about our relationship with you. And it's about your great love. We ask, Lord God, that you would come and that you would lead us with your Holy Spirit to get right with you what we need to get right with you. As we listen to this song, give us the tenderness that you have and help us to come home. Amen.